Our prayer is that you will be blessed and challenged by our message today. And may God lead you in the next step of your growth in Him. Here is our future sermon. In the Jewish temple and tabernacle, there burned a lamp, a light of sacrifice that never went out. Day and night, summer and winter, it shed its soft mystic glow within the holy place. In the temple of the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there was a lamp, a light that never went out. The oil that supplied it was never exhausted. No scorn, no hostility, no hatred can ever quench it. It was the light of love. Having loved his own, he loved them until the end. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for just the fact that we're here, Lord. Uh, it's a miracle, Lord, and we praise you for giving us the privilege to hear your word, to sense your grace, uh, just to ha have the opportunity to be right next to the Holy Spirit, which is here with us, Lord. God, I ask that you be with your people that are here. You know what they need to hear, Lord. You know what they're going through. I pray that you lift their spirits and you pierce their hearts, Lord, with, the, with your love. Uh, be with my words, Lord. I turn my life and my mouth to you, Lord, and uh, may you use it to your will. Be with all of us, Lord, and the rest of the day, we ask in Jesus' name. Let's turn our Bibles to John 13, verse 1. That's John chapter 13, verse 1. When you guys are there, say amen. Uh, the Bible says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own, he loved them until the end. So Jesus loved them until the end. He loved his people until the end, until the cross. Now what does the word love mean? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You look at verses 4 through 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Looking at verses 4 through 7. You guys are there. Say amen. amen. All right. The Bible says, love suffers long. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things endures all things. In the beginning of verse 8, it says that love never fails. So love, we see the definition of love as a word of action. And many times we, we ask God to talk to us, and I believe the language that he speaks is a language of action. That is his language. He reveals himself self to us in our lives through action. Now, Let's turn our Bibles to John 3.16, and let's see how God showed action by serving us. How did God serve us, and how does he continue to serve us? We're going to go to John chapter 3, verse 16, and I'm sure many of you this verse is familiar to you guys. John 3.16 is the verse that we're going to take a look at. To see how did God show love to us, 
God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And how with action? How did he serve us? The Bible says, you guys can say it with me if you want, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we see here the Father serving us by giving his Son and the Son serving us by dying on the cross. So we see God demonstrating his love through action by serving, by giving his only begotten son. And begotten, that word can be translated to the only one like him. So God gave the, oh, excuse me, the only one like him to us so that we might be saved. You guys can say amen if you want. Um, okay, so what the story that I believe the most, uh, that it shows the most in how Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit revealed their love to us and showed how much they served us is the last moments of, of Jesus before he gets on the cross. So we're going to take a look at, we're going to turn our Bibles to Luke 22, Luke the chapter of 22, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, so right before John. We're going to take, out, take a uh, look at this very long chapter, and I kind of want to take you guys on a, on a trip back then to, to how it was in these final moments that Jesus was going through as he showed, he demonstrated that he was the ultimate servant. So John 22, we're going to be starting at verse 39. This is where 39 through 45 is a story that I'm going to go over right now so you guys can follow along. So as many of you know, Jesus had how many disciples? He had 12 disciples. Before Jesus passed away, he had a, a sermon. He described what was going to happen. He was prepping his, his disciples, his soldiers for Christ. He was definitely motivating them and trying to prepare them for what was to come. As Jesus got nearer and nearer to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he normally would be when he would be praying and spending time with God, he told the disciples to watch and pray. He took John, Peter, John, and James with him. Um, as Jesus went to pray. And as Jesus was walking, if you read in Desire of Ages, as Jesus was walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane, that's when he began to feel the weight of sin on his shoulders to the point where he, this, uh, <laughs> Peter and John had to help him walk. If not, he could have fell. So that's how weak and, 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 and distraught he became to be. Um, and then Jesus said, okay, you guys wait here, watch and pray. Okay, that's what he told the disciples. He told the disciples to watch and pray, the same thing he tells us today, to watch and pray. So Jesus goes, and Jesus begins to pray. And as he begins to pray, he does not feel the presence of God anymore. That connection with God is clouded with darkness as he begins to be overwhelmed with all of his sin. He is weak. He is on the ground, just pleading for God. And at this moment, Satan is there harassing him. Harassing him, saying that there's no point in going forward. One of your uh, disciples is going to betray you, speaking of Judas. One that, a person that was involved in church activities. And one, that, one of your most zealous disciples is going to deny your name. What is the point of going on? If you keep going you and your father will be separated forever. And this is what Satan was telling Jesus. He was telling Jesus to give up. And Jesus 
not having that same connection as he was in the wilderness, as he had before because he had all the weight of sin that was separating him slowly and slowly from the Father, Jesus began to sweat drops of blood. He was, his face was blood and his face was marred more than any other man she describes. It was disfigured. He was depressed. He was alone. And he began to pray and he said, Father, if it is your will, take this, take this cup away from me. Let this, let this cup pass from me. But whatever your will is, I'll do your will. Not my will, but your will. So he was struggling. And at this moment, Jesus could have left any time he could have left. Anyway, so he goes back to the disciples, and the disciples are sleeping. The disciples are fast asleep. And the first thing that Jesus says, and I believe in Lucas says it, he, he, he says the word what. He's like, what? He was shocked that his disciples that were closest to him, that saw him, trans, uh, the Jesus transfigure in the mountain, saw Moses, saw Elijah, they were sleeping. So he said, listen, wake up, watch and pray, watch and pray. The first time that Jesus was asking for the intercessory prayer, he was not getting that intercessory prayer. Jesus was always there with the disciples. He would always pray for them. He would be there when they're down. He would lift them up. He would do miracles. And the disciples weren't even praying for him. So he told them to pray. They were found asleep. As sometimes many of us are asleep, and God is asking us to watch and to pray. Jesus goes back, and he felt alone. His heart was beginning to break. And, you know, the thing about this whole thing is that Jesus planned this out with his Father. And he planned to die this death for our sins. And he chose this path. I can imagine, I know some of us feel alone today. Some of us may be depressed or have been depressed. Maybe some of us are struggling with anxiety. Some of us are just going through tough times, and maybe we feel alone. Even though we're here, we smile, we go home, and we feel alone. And I can imagine Jesus wanting to specifically go through this so he can know how you feel, so that when you're alone, he knows how to comfort you. He knows what you went through so that way he can comfort you. That's the God that we serve, a God that serves us and that knows how to serve us because he had went through all the things that we're going through today. So Jesus is sweating blood. He goes back. The disciples are sleeping again. And, you know, in a time of suffering, a human wants some kind of comfort, right? You want someone to, to be there for you when you cry on their shoulder. You know, when, when someone's suffering, whether they're right before surgery, they want someone to be there. It's, it's natural. And this is something that Jesus was feeling because for the first time, he was beginning to be separated from his father and the disciples we're not there for him. He wakes up his disciples again. And it's interesting because he doesn't condemn the disciples. He doesn't point the finger. He doesn't yell at them. He just says, watch and pray so that ye may not enter into temptation. In this hour of sorrow, he was still thinking of his disciples. And what's amazing to me is that sometimes we see people in our lives and they're not doing so good or they're not right with God, and we're quick to point the finger, we're quick to put them down and to judge them. But the way that Christ did it was the way that we need to approach situations like that. To the point where later on, after Jesus died and resurrected, you read the book of Acts and how the church grew, and it's because of Jesus, how Jesus dealt with these situations. So Jesus goes back once again, 
You know, he's saying, Father, it is your will. If it's, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And at this moment, even though he was all alone, Jesus made the choice to serve you in his death. At that moment when he was sweating blood, when he was alone, he sensed that this earth needed a savior. And he chose, and Desiree just says it here right there, he just laid out. He, he kind of like, she, she describes it like he, he fell like a dead man. Like he just fell down his face to the ground. The angels of heaven, the other worlds were watching all this happening. And God sent an angel down. Sent the angel that was in the presence of God, came down. And she describes, it's crazy, she describes how she grabbed Jesus. He, he grabbed, um, the angel grabbed Jesus and picked his head up and lifted and put his head on his chest and was pointing to heaven and was saying to Jesus, listen, the Father is more powerful than Satan. Amen? That you're going to save a lot of people. That a lot of people will be praising your name and your second coming. So that angel gave the motivation for Jesus to continue to serve his purpose. So when man is not there for you, God will send an angel to encourage you. So nothing can stop Jesus. Nothing can stop him. Even though his disciples weren't praying, even though he was alone and no one was there, he still was willing to continue his mission. How many of us today get discouraged so easily? I can't go door knocking. It's raining. It's going to rain. Oh, it's too hot. There isn't that many people to, to, uh, to go. I, have, I don't know what to say. I have no clothes to wear. You, you go to a closet, there's like all these clothes. Um, I, I don't have money. Um, there's nothing going on in the church, so how can I do anything? But let me tell you, brothers and sisters, even if there's nothing going on in the church and you feel like you can't be on stage or you can't do Bible studies, a powerful thing that Jesus was trying to tell the disciples and he did for the disciples was intercessory prayer. That is a huge way of serving God is intercessory prayer. It is prayer. And I'm telling you right now, that is the, one of the most, that is, the, that is a tool that people take for granted and don't use as much. And I've seen not just only in the Bible what prayer can do, and that's why he wanted the disciples to pray so that they wouldn't fall, but also to give strength to Jesus so an angel wouldn't have to come. But prayer is huge, okay? I remember me praying. One, one person I prayed for, my dad, he passed away last year, resting in Jesus, amen? Um, and before he had even gone stepped into church, he didn't, want it. he didn't want to go into church. He didn't want to go in. He thought the whole Saturday thing was dumb, and he didn't want to go. And I would pray, pray, pray. He went to church. I was praying to God, pray that he gets baptized. And I didn't mention it to him at all, and he got baptized. And he was still working on Saturdays, though, because <laughs> he had to pay the bills, right? That was his excuse. So I was praying, and I would tell him sometimes, what are you doing? You're working on Saturdays? That didn't work. So I went to intercessory prayer, and he got Saturdays off. Anything is possible with intercessory prayer. Also, I was praying that he would eat healthier, and he became vegetarian. I mean, I can kind of go on, and if you would know who he was at the time, you would say more of a larger amen. Um, but intercessory prayer works big. Even people were praying for me at a time that I wasn't close to God. So that is a way that we can serve our God, okay? Okay, so Jesus gets up. His depression is gone. I know many people probably have been depressed before in their lives, or are depressed 
And one thing that Jesus was going through, the main thing that he was suffering with was this heartbreak. How many people have been through a heartbreak? No one, okay. I'm the only one. I'm the only one, okay. <laughs> I went through a heartbreak one time, many times. Um, of course, it was a woman, it was a girl. And it was a long time ago, it was almost 10 years ago, and it was a girl, that was, she was a pretty girl, obviously not as beautiful as my wife right there, not even close. Um, <laughs> amen. And um, we dated, things kind of went fast. Um, I, you know, I, things were going really fast. I, I liked her, and then all of a sudden, one day she told me that God told her that I was the one. So I was like, okay, well, that's kind of weird, but hey, you know, that means she likes me a lot. So I got, I got her, you know, um, and she told me she loved me. So I was like, yeah, I love you too. So uh, things were moving super fast. Um, and then three weeks later, she told me that God told her to break up with me. So my question was, what kind of God are you talking to? <laughs> it's crazy God. Um, and then we were going to go to this school together, but we didn't. So I ended up driving off to the school in another state by myself. And it was three days later after she broke up with me, and then she was, you know, with her ex-boyfriend back again. So I guess God told her to do that, too. Um, and I was heartbroken. I mean, this is, I was very low. I, I was, I had no one there, had no families, no friends, another state, another school. I was depressed. I was depressed to the point that I wanted to commit suicide, believe it or not. And heartbreak is one of the most painful things that you, any human being can ever go through. Someone that you love completely just rips your heart out. And that's how I felt. And I was depressed. I was losing weight. I was skinny. I, yeah, poor thing. Exactly. I wish you were there at that time to comfort me. For, at that time, the only person that comforted me was Jesus. Comforted me was God. And, and I went through, and, and just to kind of give you that visual, Jesus spending however many years or there's no time in heaven with God and being the first time separating from him, not even being able to see past the cross, he thought that forever he was going to be lost. Forever, he thought, at that moment. So he gets up, he gets the disciples, he says, listen, it's time to go. Um, let's go, I'm going to be betrayed. And, uh, you know, following Luke 22, 47 to 52, he gets, uh, the, there's an angry mob that comes, an angry mob coming after Jesus with torches. I mean, it's like people coming after Frankenstein. Um, and... Judas comes out of nowhere and gives Jesus a kiss. And, you know, Jesus says, but you betray me with a kiss. And Jesus, uh, Judas was trying to play it off like he wasn't part of the mob. That's why he did that. He's like, I'm going to give him a kiss. Hey, what's up? You know, how you doing? And he called him rabbi. And as you know, the rest of the story, he arrested, they arrested Christ right there. And it's interesting because Christ didn't reject the kiss. He didn't reject Judas. He didn't condemn Judas. That is the love that God has for his people. Even if you stab him in the back, even if, no matter what you've done in your lives or what you're doing, Jesus is still there ready to serve you with his love. So he gets arrested. Peter, you know, cuts the ear off. Peter cuts the guy's ears off. And Jesus is still serving. He still, he grabs, grabs the ear. I don't know if it fell off somewhere. He's looking for the ear. He grabbed the ear. He made a new one. I don't know what he did. He gave the guy a new ear. Can imagine he can hear so much better now from that ear, brand new. And... He still was serving God, even though he was arrested, even though he was handcuffed. He somehow broke from the handcuffs. And they took, they grabbed his hands, the hands that created the earth, that created the universe. They grabbed those hands and took him to the, to the house of, of Annas, 
Okay, and Annas was the ex-high priest. Okay, and um, moving along to verse 54 to 62. Annas was the ex-high priest, and he took him there. They all took him there because Annas was older and wiser. They thought that Caiaphas, which was the high priest, would mess things up, and they wanted to make sure that they, they had Jesus arrested for blasphemy by the Jewish authorities, but then also condemned by the Romans, pretending you know, to cause a rebellion. So they were trying to set him up, and they couldn't. Annas had failed with Annas. They took him to Caiaphas, and there was all these people there. There was a mob that they, they hired, I guess, to kind of give fault, wit, fault witness, false, false witness, false testimonies. Um, and they did all this at night because they knew that all the people that were following Christ... They knew the following that he had, so they did all this at night. You know, they, they spat in Jesus' face. They hit Jesus. You know, Jesus was there, but he was quiet. And it was interesting, the Desire of Ages describes Jesus as this noble, heavenly, his countenance, his, 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 he just represented God so much that even when he was arrested, people saw him, and they saw God. And the high priest as well, they, he saw him, and he saw God, and of course the high priest snapped out of it and condemned Jesus. And during this time, it's interesting, on the way to Caiaphas, the disciples, well, before that, I guess before the, that he was sent to the house, the disciples fled, which was Peter's idea, by the way, according to the Desire of Ages. And Peter, it said that Peter followed Jesus at a distance. Now, mind you, the disciples were angry because they did not understand what was going on. They thought that Jesus was going to be an earthly king. They thought that they would be sitting on the right hand of God on earth, that he would restore Israel, he would restore Jerusalem. They thought all these things, so they were angry at Jesus. And I believe that they were angry at Jesus because they followed him at a distance. How many of us are angry at God, don't understand why he's not telling me what career to do, why he's not telling me or he's not bringing a husband or wife, girlfriend, or boyfriend, or why is he not doing this? Could it be that we're so far away from the door where Jesus is behind that we cannot hear him knock with the answers that we need to hear? Are we following Jesus at a distance in our lives, in our spiritual life? And I'm talking about not going to church, not Bible study. I'm talking about you and your own personal relationship with Christ. Are you following him at a distance? So Peter followed him at a distance. He went. Caiaphas' house, um, John knew some of the priests. They let John in, which is one of the disciples. Peter came because John hooked him up, and John went on. And John, when he went in, he didn't hang around the people, the crowd, the mob. He didn't try to fit in, but he went into this corner as close as he could to Jesus to see what was going on. Now, Peter, remember, if you go back, he said he would be willing to die. Even if all forsake you, I will be willing to die for you and suffer for you. And Peter was the one that tried to mingle with the people. It was like this fire. I guess it was cold that night. And they were, they were, they were mingling, and he was trying to fit in with the people. You know, it's almost like sometimes as Christians, we try to fit in with the world, and it, it just, it's just weird. We look weird. We're like, we don't fit in. You know, we're just like this kind of a goofball, or we just stand out, you know, sheep amongst wolves, and we try to fit in with these people. And so he was trying to fit in, and somebody called him out and said, hey, um, aren't you a disciple of Christ? And he said, no, I'm not. I am not a disciple of Christ. 
And then he's like, oh, that was a close one. And then someone else is like, no, 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 I, I, I recognize you. I recognize the way that you talk. You speak like them, like the disciples. You're, you're one of them. He's like, no, no, I don't. And he made an oath. He's like, I swear, I, I, whatever, I don't. He's just like, well, that was a close one. That was a close one. God didn't see me deny him, like some of us think. God didn't see me. Thank God, man. Thank God the elder wasn't there. You know, when I went to buy alcohol, thank God no one was there. No one saw me. Whew, uh, that was a close one. And so then there was a, a person that was related to the person that, uh, the servant that got his ear cut off, was like, no, 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 I saw you there. You cut that guy's ear off. I remember you. And so Peter cursed. He was cursing. He was cursing, and he was trying to not put himself in this situation. Then he heard the rooster crow. He had crowed before, but he had heard it this time, and he remembered what Jesus said, before the rooster crows, he will deny me three times. God knows this, right? God knows where we are, and he knows us better than we know ourselves. And at that very moment, at that very moment when, when he denied Christ, he looked where Christ was, and Christ was looking right at Peter. And Desire of Ages describes that all the blows and the, and the punches that he received, there was no pain greater at that moment than when Peter betrayed him. The most zealous disciple betrayed Jesus. And he looked into the eyes of Peter, those eyes that look at us every day, those eyes that just fill this, can fill this room with love. He looked at Peter, and he looked at Peter with, with pityness. He felt bad for Peter, and he looked at with sadness. He was very sad. Jesus was very, very sad. And Peter was just thinking about all the times that Jesus was there for him. Sometimes we forget when Jesus was there for us. How quick we are to forget, how quick we are to complain, just like the Israelites complaining in the wilderness for 40-something years. And Peter remembered, and he looked at Jesus one more time, and Jesus was looking at Peter, not with condemnation, not with scorn, but with love. Is it possible to serve God just with a look, just with a smile? That very moment, Jesus was serving God as a mob was attacking him. Right after he looked at Peter with love, Peter just ran off. And if someone hit Jesus right after that, Peter just ran off. How do we look at our fellow church members? How do we look at someone in your eyes not dressed appropriate? How do we look at people that we, a, a teenager that was is pregnant? You know, how do we look at our, our family members that are not in the church? How do we look at gay people? How do we look at people that cheat on other people? Do we look at them with condemnation? Do we look at them with scorn? Or do we look at them with love? As Jesus looked at Peter with love, as Jesus looked at that prostitute with love, as Jesus looked at the Pharisees, as Jesus looked at people that were crucifying him with love, that is another way we can serve God with our looks, but we have to be careful because we can be serving the devil as well if we are looking at people the wrong way for whatever reason. Because no matter what, Jesus wants to look at people, wants us to look at people the way he looked at Peter. So Peter ran off. Between that, I mean, Jesus was mocked. He was, you know, thrown in this 
room and beat up to the point where this Ivy just says that the, if the Roman soldiers weren't there, they would have tore Jesus to pieces. That's how these people were possessed with the devil. They wanted to tear these people in pieces. Wanted to tear Jesus in pieces. And the, the Romans were mad. And how many of us sometimes tear people into pieces by gossiping? We just tear them up. We go home, I mean, maybe some of you guys might tear me up, my sermon up, when, and on the way to your house. Tear, tear the, the preacher's sermon up or just tear them up, man. And, and people feel good. I mean, I, and I know because I've done it before. You just feel good about yourself. Like, man, yeah, this person is so bad. It's, it's, it's like this. He's like that. I can't believe he said this. Or I can't believe they look like this. We just tear them up in pieces. But God doesn't want that, obviously. God wants us to love. And by spending time with Jesus, we will learn how to do this. We're all sinners. We make mistakes. But praise God, because even though you sin, even though you do gossip at times, God is looking at you with love and mercy. And he has hope for you, and he believes in you. That's why you guys are here today. So Pilate takes him, and so the Jews already, they, they consider him to be a, a blasphemer because he considered himself the, the, the son of God. At that time, Caiaphas even had a vision when Jesus said that he's a son of God. Caiaphas, at that moment, because he was a high priest, had a vision that he saw Jesus coming down on the right hand of God. He saw all this, but he brushed it off. He ripped his garments, and he said, blasphemy. He saw God. He gave, he, God gave him that vision, just like so many of us. God gives us that vision that we need, and we kind of ignore it. Some of us ignore it at times. And he ignored it. He was taken to Pilate. And Pilate was, you know, he wasn't a Christian, obviously, or a Jew. And he was trying every kind of way to not send Jesus to the crucifixion because he saw Jesus. He looked in the eyes of Christ. He knew that he was innocent. He knew that he was something out of heaven. And he was trying everything he could. But Pilate's mistake was he put his career before God. He did not want to lose his position. The Zyra just describes it. He did not want to lose his position. And ladies and gentlemen, career and your degrees are good, but if you're not putting God first, it is for nothing. It is for nothing. And Pilate puts his career first, his job first, even though he knew this guy was a son of God, and he lost it. Uh, Desire Ray just talks about how he lost, later on, he lost his position anyways, and he felt so guilty that he killed himself. Desire Ray just talks about that. I'm not going to get too into that, but let us put God first, amen? Let us serve God by putting him first. So Peter was, I mean, uh, Jesus was sentenced to be crucified, which is the worst, the most embarrassing torture thing ever. And he was obviously scourged. He was hit and bloody. They put him on the cross. And this is what Psalms uh, 69, verse 20 through 21 says. It says, reproach, and this is Jesus speaking. He's kind of prophesying of what, how he felt on the cross. Reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness, and I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me, my, they gave me vinegar to drink. So on the cross, even though his disciples were there, his own mother was there. Nobody comforted him. Nobody was there cheering him on in his mission. It's interesting because there was actually one man that did bring a little comfort to Christ at that moment. And uh, it's found in Luke, um, 
Luke 26. No, I'm Luke, no, actually, I'm sorry. It is Luke 23, verses uh, 26 through 43. And this is when Jesus is on the cross. He was next to two thieves, and there was one thief that was there. I'll say the story and we'll close. There was one thief that was there, and this thief that was on the cross, there was another thief. Actually, both the thieves were kind of, you know, in a sense, making fun of Jesus at first, and then one of the thieves kind of got in his right mind and began to kind of repent. And this thief that was on the cross, one of them actually heard Jesus speak. He wanted to be converted. He wanted to be baptized, but he ended up being persuaded not to follow Christ because of the Pharisees kind of, they influenced him the wrong way. And we have to be careful with our influence as well. That's another way we can serve God. So he, um, he chose the wrong way. He got a thief, and then he's on the cross now. And he's on the cross, and he says to Christ, remember me when you go to your kingdom. This filled Jesus with comfort. It, he called Christ Lord. He recognized Christ as God. And at this moment, that's when Jesus said, you will be with me in paradise. If this thief was not on this cross, he would never have accepted Christ. God doesn't necessarily want us to be on a cross, but sometimes he allows us to be put on a cross so that we can see him and accept Jesus. Whether it's the cross of financial crisis, whether it's the cause of divorce, or whether the cross of divorce, whether it's the cross of um, people treating you bad, whether it's the cross of you know, anything, anxiety, depression, he allows it to happen so that you may see him and he may come for you and he may just fill you with love. That's the God that we serve, a Christ serving on the cross, nailed to the cross in pain. And a lot of times when we're in pain, we only think about ourselves. We don't think about anybody else. We're not, you know, we break a leg, we're not trying to do door to door when our leg's broken. You know, we're not, <laughs> we're not trying to do that. We're trying to get to the hospital and get better. But Christ, nothing can stop him from serving. Nothing can stop him from serving God. And even though at this moment, Desire of Ages, page 70, uh, 753, uh, paragraph 2, says, He feared that sin was so offensive to God that their separation was eternal. He thought that he was never going to see God again. He thought it was done. He, th- he only saw the tomb, and he could have came down out of that cross. He did not see God at this moment, even though God was there, the angels were there. He did not see God at the moment, but his motivation was you. He saw you on that cross, and he said, it is worth it. It is worth to fulfill this mission. It is worth to continue serving my purpose and being the savior of the world, for you, you were that motivation, that face that he saw, and he said, I want to do it for this person. And Zyra just said, if, you, if it was only one person to be saved, you would have came down. There was no guarantee how many people were going to be saved, and he did it, he did it for you. My last quote is in Zyra Vages, page 751, paragraph 2, it says, they may strip him his raiments and quarrel over its division, but they cannot rob him of his power to forgive sins. In dying, he bears testimony to his own divinity and to the glory of the Father. His ear is not heavy that it cannot hear, neither his arm shortened that it cannot save. It is his royal right to save unto the uttermost all who come into God by him. Even Christ said, you can do greater things than I. 
you can do more, you can do much more things at the time that we have with the help of Jesus. You can do a lot of things by serving God. It's so amazing that this candle, this light that Jesus had that was burning, just like that, those lights that were burning in that tabernacle, still burn today. Still burn today. And Jesus is a consuming fire. And he wants to consume us with his love. And he wants us to be on fire to serve him and to be a light among the world. So let us today take that lamp out of under the bed and put it on top of a lampstand so that we can show the world who Jesus is by serving him.